Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Thank you for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm Claire Navarro. If you tuned in last week, you got a peek into the world of early 20th century tent shows in the southern United States. This week, we also start with performances in tents, but earlier in history and much further south. With the help of William Acree, Associate Professor of Spanish here at Washington University in St. Louis, we're heading to the circus. The place, Argentina. The time, toward the end of the 19th century. So for 15 years, more or less, uh, mid-1880s through the early 1900s, the Creole Circus was one of the main entertainment options that people went to see. Groups took it from town to town across Argentina, across Uruguay, sometimes southern Brazil, and it was, it was uh, where you had to be uh, if you wanted to see and be seen. These circuses had a lot of the kinds of acts you might expect. Acrobatics, animals, that sort of thing. But in the 1880s, one circus family started something new. They created a type of play called Creole drama. In this part of the world, the word Creole has meant different things at different points in time. But in the 1880s, it referred to so-called native sons, people who were originally from the area. So these Creole dramas had what you might call local flair. These were wild events. The earliest versions of Creole dramas were done in circus tents or out in the open. And so oftentimes you had several, several animals that were participants. We're not talking about a faithful dog here or some other small animal. There would be horse races that would be part of the show. Um, shearing sheep was something that people could see. On top of that, bonfires were built on stage and real meat roasted during the show. All of these effects brought to life the South American countryside and a very particular kind of story. The gist of the Creole drama is a story of a good gaucho gone bad. The gaucho is a South American cowboy, and in the Creole drama, he is the star. Over some 15 years, some 15 of these plays became huge hits. Though there were differences between the plays, they all had a similar kind of storyline. And so you have sort of a, a noble uh, guy who works in the countryside. He has his plot of land and his, um, his livestock cares for his family. And he uh, has run-ins uh, with the, uh, the authorities, the police, justices of the peace, for reasons that are usually related to corrupt government. And then begins sort of the downfall of this hero. Usually the story ends with the death and symbolic resurrection of the gaucho. Of course, he doesn't go down without a fight. There's a lot of action that's involved, especially in the, the early ones. Uh, lots of fight scenes uh, with knives. Um, so I had people on the, the edges of their seats, uh, although most of them were standing. <laughs> it's hard to overstate how popular these plays were. People would go to see the shows multiple times. The stories became so well-known that they spread beyond the stage and became kind of the pop culture of the time. You could see evidence of it all over the place. Some examples, cigarettes that took the name of the hero from this play. 
so people could purchase the cigarette. And in the cigarette box, um, you would have these collector's cards. Uh, and there was a series of 20 cards, for example, that had images of scenes from the play with a one-sentence description of the scene. So if you collected all 20, you'd have sort of the entire play right there. So why did these Creole dramas become such a craze? Acre believes there are a few main reasons. For one, these shows were easy to go see and fun to watch. It was affordable. It was local in terms of the content, as opposed to opera uh, that was performed primarily, overwhelmingly, by European companies with stories that were not about uh, sort of local, local life. And it gave, it gave people a chance to go out with families. Uh, this was, believe it or not, a family atmosphere where the kids would go or where husbands and wives would go. Occasionally there were sort of versions of Creole dramas for kids with children performers. So they were just solid, family-friendly entertainment. But Acre believes that's not the whole story. During the same period that Creole dramas took off, the lives of many Argentinians were changing rapidly. Land that was once devoted to animals was now being used for cereal crops, and that meant jobs were changing or disappearing. People from the country were moving into cities, and in the cities, they were face-to-face -face with newcomers, immigrants. So from the 1870s through 1914, this region of southern South America, specifically Argentina and Uruguay, received more immigrants in terms of the size of population than did the United States. It was a pretty radical demographic transformation. And obviously, there were tensions that accompanied the arrival of the, this, this number of, of people from abroad, primarily Italy and Spain. In the face of new people and changing culture, Audiences were drawn to stories that glorified the countryside and its way of life. Acre says you can really see these nativist themes when you look at the immigrant characters in these plays. Especially in the earlier ones, some of the portrayals are pretty harsh. There's the immigrant thief or the tricky immigrant. Other depictions are more playful. There was a character in these plays whose name was Cocoliche. He was an immigrant figure whose uh, purpose was to, to make people laugh for the most part. And he made them laugh by using his garbled Spanish. That was his blend of Italian and Spanish. And he would tell jokes and, and people could get enough of what he was saying to, to understand the content. But the way he would frame it with the, you know, the mix of languages was, was hilarious. So you'd think this would set up some pretty strong tensions between immigrants and native South Americans, right? Imagine if your accent or culture was getting made fun of in front of huge crowds. What would you do? How would you react? Did the immigrants boycott the shows? Cause a fuss? Not exactly. Ironically, immigrant families were the, the lead Creole drama performers. And immigrants were among the, uh, the most enthusiastic spectators of these shows. The immigrant performers can at least partially be explained just by economics. Actors want to make money. These plays sold tickets. The show goes on. But what about the immigrants in the audience? 
Why would anyone want to pay to see themselves stereotyped or even mocked? One of the reasons, and this isn't sort of my original uh, interpretation here, has to do with the way immigrants attempted to assimilate, right? So being Creole or attending these shows and adopting behaviors or dress forms of speech that they picked up on when they went to see these plays enabled them to, to fit in a bit, a bit more in this society that was uh, saying, wait, wait a minute, what, what is it that we really want to look like as Argentines or as, as Uruguayans here? Many of these immigrants didn't go halfway in their fandom. They took their love of Creole culture with them everywhere, including to the yearly celebration of Carnival, which involves dressing up in costume. Uh, there are lots of accounts of immigrants dressing up as these Creole drama heroes at Carnival, participating in uh, competitions to evaluate who had the most Creole costume that year. Immigrants also joined social clubs called Creole Societies that would celebrate gaucho culture by hosting big barbecues and having parades. And what's amazing is, as the years passed and immigrants embraced Creole drama, in some ways the Creole dramas started to embrace them back. Later plays were less harsh in how they portrayed outsiders. In some instances, there are immigrants who are essentially the, the heroes after the the local native son is killed at the end of the play. It's the immigrant that avenges the death of the local hero. And that's that says a lot. It says a lot, even though throughout the play, you know, maybe some other gaucho characters have sort of poked fun at this, at this immigrant character, his way of speaking, for example. So overall, the seemingly simple story of good gaucho gone bad had a lot going on. It was a place that combined the entertainment uh, opportunity with a moment to connect with these experiences that, that had something to do with changes in society at the end of the 19th century. And so I think that really, it really attracted people. Yeah. Eventually, the popularity of the Creole drama moved it beyond the world of the traveling circus. With the lure of more money and different audiences, these country shows took their act into the city and even into the opera house. The experience there was a bit different than in earlier performances. What happened when they moved from circus tent, the dusty circus tent, to the, the opera house? The bonfire part was cut out. <laughs> So no more fires on stage. Um, but they did, they did try to make a, a type of pit where there could be horses that would gallop for you know, a few meters across, across the stage uh, in, in the um, hope of recreating some of the spirit. At first, even the toned down version of Creole drama was not exactly well received. At the outset, they condemned these, these plays as the one of the most pernicious forms of uh, entertainment, uh, cultural production that a society could have. That's harsh. But in the end, Creole drama again won out. Over time, even the urban elite could not resist the story of the good gaucho gone bad. So there are commentaries in newspapers about doctors and politicians uh, attending these plays 
several cases where the presidents of both Argentina and Uruguay are in the audience for, for Creole dramas. Elements of the plays, like certain types of dance, would be taken up by, um, by these new wealthier theater goers, and so they would contract dance teachers to learn the moves of these folk dances. And so that, that's a really interesting thing to, to get a sense of impact to um, when you see audience makeup change and when you see sort of the, the elements of these plays making their way to other areas of life. So after already bringing people of different national origins together, these stories went on to bring people of different classes together. For a piece of pop culture, the reach of these stories is pretty incredible. The plays, no doubt, brought people together. I mean, when, when people rub, sh rub shoulders with uh, people who were very different from them, especially when audience makeup started to change and you had uh, wealthy opera goers who would attend these plays and, you know, there would be the other folks who were the enthusiasts from earlier years, then that's, it's a new dynamic at play. But all good things come to an end. After about 20 years, the popularity of the Creole drama started to fizzle out. But Acre believes that the legacy of these shows is still very present in Argentina and Uruguay. Um, I think they really provided the opportunities for a, a theater-going culture to be born. And that's something that has endured to this day. Anybody who visits uh, Buenos Aires in Argentina or Montevideo in Uruguay, smaller towns too, will pick up on this very vibrant theater scene where theater is still one of the main, main entertainment options on weekends and, well, frankly, throughout the week. So when people have the option to go to a movie uh, or to stay home, go to a concert, uh, many of them still elect to go to the theater. It's, it's a cool thing to do to go to the theater. And there are plenty of options to keep up with demand. The number of theaters in the region is incredible, Acre says, with Buenos Aires being right up there with London and Paris and New York. My argument is that much of that can be traced back to this theater-going culture that was really created uh, at the turn of the, the 20th century. By creating a theater-going culture, Acre argues that these Creole dramas affected culture more broadly. Whether it's performed in a tent or in an opera house, it's always about more than what happens on stage. What happens when people go out or what happens when they socialize uh, on a regular basis? And I think there are, there are bonds that are forged there, uh, conversations that are had about identity or about current events and so on that, um, that are important, right, for the sort of public health of, of, of a society. Um, and so I think that's something that's, that's lasting too, that these entertainers did, and they had no, no idea that they were doing it, um, nor did they plan to or imagine that as a possibility. Thank you so much to William Acree for joining Hold That Thought. For many more ideas to explore, please visit us at holdthatthought.wustl.edu and subscribe to our weekly show. 
You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, PRX, and more. Thank you for listening. <laughs>